The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 35. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How could you then say, she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds, and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there, and encamped in the valley of Gerar, and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given him. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well. And they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sinta, Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went, from, went to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his advisor, and Pickel, the commander of his army, Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me? seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you. They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, 
Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. And let, let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and, you have, and have done nothing to you, but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from the plate, him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to them, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you on this beautiful Sunday morning, this Easter, where we celebrate the day you marked all of history, the day you changed everything, where we even mark our time by this day over 2,000 years ago. Every man who's ever been born of a woman has lived and died, never to live again, until this man Jesus, this God-man that you sent to this earth who lived, died, and lived again to never die again. You changed everything with him. And I know that you're here by the presence of your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would quicken us, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that you would listen through our ears, that you would take hard hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh, that you would take spiritually dead people and make them alive. Do only what you can do. You can quicken dead flesh. You can bring the dead to life. So we place our faith and the Almighty God, and we ask you to be here and be present with us today through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. If you are new here, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. And on behalf of all the Sacred City Church family, I want to welcome you and thank you for uh, worshiping with us this morning. I pray, and all of us are praying, that you would experience the love of God this morning. Um, it's not a sappy, sentimental type of love. It's a life-changing, steadfast love that will grip you and change everything about you. Past, present, and future, it'll change everything if you let it. Um, I'm not going to do anything special today. We're actually not going to do anything special. We will continue just right through the book of Genesis. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We are over halfway now through the book of Genesis. So there's no special Easter sermon. So those of you who come only on Easter and you're expecting to get that same old Easter sermon, well, sorry. You know, I'll get you next year. Uh, but we actually kind of, you know, it's kind of a big deal. So we try to teach the resurrection every Sunday. That's why we gather on Sunday, not on Saturday. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to continue through the book of Genesis. If Jesus now, the reason we do this, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then everything we do is pointless, right? I should be sitting at home on my couch, drinking a beer, watching The Hobbit, 
right now. Right? If Christ has not been raised, then there's no point for us being here. But that's the kicker, isn't it? Jesus, this poor man from Galilee, who was brutally crucified like so many others before him, refused to stay dead. That throws a wrench in your plans, usually. And not surprisingly, dead men who refuse to stay dead make no little fuss. And what we learn from history and from the, and from the Bible is that Jesus didn't just come back to life uh, walking dead style. Right? Flesh hanging off his body, he stinks, he's kind of all weird and, you know, we get this like maybe a resuscitation or something. No. Nor did Jesus come back to life like A&E would want him to come back to life. Right? With a little EMP measure or something. Speak, make a weird noise if you're really here, Jesus. Right? I think his spirit is in the room. I've got some kind of, you know, ghostbuster detector that I can tell that Jesus is here. Jesus didn't come back walking dead style, nor did he come back as a spirit. And that might mess with some of your thinking because many people think, well, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, he's like every other, you know, religion leader. You know, he rose from the dead spiritually, so to speak, you know. No, that's not how Jesus came back to life. What history has showed us is Jesus, his dead body was reinvigorated with new life so that he still had scars in his hand, but he was so glorious that hardly anyone could even recognize him. If you really want to cook your noodle, you think about this. Jesus was so glorious, he could walk through walls when he was raised from the dead, but then he could sit on a chair. And then the people, his disciples thought he was a ghost. So they're like, whoa, is this a ghost? And he's like, give me some fish. He eats the fish right in front of him. He was not a spirit. He was not just walking dead. He was given a new body. His flesh was quickened and it was called the resurrection. And what history has shown us is that this Jesus, this man who was dead, but didn't stay dead, then appeared to over 500 of his followers. Jesus promised to, he said, I'm leaving, I'm going to God, I'm going to be glorified. But I'm going to promise to send back to you the Holy Spirit. And then he left to be with his father, he was glorified, and he was lifted up into heaven, and his disciples watched him, watched him as he literally went off to be with the Father in heaven. And again, what history has shown us is that these foolish followers, right, the lowest of the low, Carpenters, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, foolish men. These men and women who had just days before, at his crucifixion, we celebrated it on Friday, Good Friday, at his crucifixion, all of these men and women abandoned Jesus because they thought he was a fake. All the teaching, three years of walking with him, three years of talking with him, he dies on the cross and they're like, oh, we missed it. God can't die. All, everything we've believed in the past has been wrong. These men and women, after then, after meeting the resurrected Jesus, and after God fills them with his spirit, these men and women turned the world upside down. I want you to think about this. Over 2,000 years ago, right? Here we are over 2,000 years later, and we are gathering together to celebrate a man who never owned real estate. A man who never wrote anything of significance. 
A man who never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown. A man who died a horrendous death on a Roman cross like a common criminal. Like thousands of men who went before him, he died a pitiful death with all of his followers scattering into the wind. Peter going back to his fishing boat. Everybody throwing their hands up going, we just wasted three years of our life. Out of all the great men in history, why do we celebrate this man's life and death? We don't have Julius Caesar Caesar Day, do we? Right? I must have missed Alexander the Great Day. We missed that one? Right? You get all the really powerful people presents. Right? The IRS does that for us. Never mind. No, out of all the great men in history, I want you to think about this. Out of all the great men in history, Jesus stands alone. Why? For the sole reason that upon his death, Like he predicted beforehand, Jesus did not stay dead. His physical body was resurrected, and that tends to make an impact in human history. Can I offer you this one thought on this Resurrection Sunday? It's from a mentor of mine, Timothy Keller, Pastor Timothy Keller from New York City. says this, If, if Jesus was resurrected, we must believe everything he said. If, that's a big if, I want you to hear the reality of us being in our sins, the reality of eternal life, the reality of why we gather here to get today, the reality of, of the whole substance of Christianity relies upon the, the blade of that if. If Christ has been resurrected then we must believe everything he said. There is no room for, he's a good moral teacher, he's a nice guy, he probably lived and taught some good things like Gandhi and like all these people, but then he died. There is none of that. He doesn't allow us room for that. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ was not resurrected, then everything we believe is fake, phony, futile, and foolish. And we're still in our sins. Everything stands upon the belief in his resurrection. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected, then you are not a follower of Christ and you are not a Christian and you are still in your sins. It's that harsh. It's that sharp of an edge. It's that simple. It's that clear. It's that sharp. If this man was able to die and then come back to life and walk around and meet people and he is never going to die again, that guy, therefore, that guy has the key to life. And we must listen to him. Has anybody been, has anybody died? Anybody in this room, I just want to make sure. Anybody died? Like, what's after, you know? I know you can write a book, right? You go to sleep, have a weird dream, write a book, it's going to be on the bestsellers list, okay? I swear... I was in heaven. That was bad pizza, brother. That was bad pizza. Jesus Christ knows what's in the afterlife. Jesus Christ knows what death feels like. He's the author of life and he experienced death. And if we want to have and understand the key to life, the key to it, we've got to believe and trust and understand and listen to what this man who died and was resurrected, we must listen to what this man had to say. Isn't that what we're all searching for anyways? The key to life? What's going to unlock my destiny? 
What's going to unlock me being happy? What's going to unlock my joy? What's going to satisfy my soul? I thought it was my wife. Found out it wasn't. Right? Thought it was my kids. Found out they don't work either. I thought it was a million in the bank. Found out it doesn't work. Some of you are still trying that one. Right? Found out it was retirement. Still not happy. It was the new car. It was the new house. It was the stuff. It was success. It was people looking up at me and going, that guy's made it. I thought the approval of people was a thing that was going to unlock the key to life. I've been trying since I've been three years old, running on the football field, running on the track, running on the soccer field, wrestling on the mat. I've been trying to earn the approval of all these people and nothing seems to make me happy. You ever experienced that? What will give me eternal life and eternal happiness? When my time on this earth is over, it's the key to life. And if Jesus was resurrected, if Jesus was resurrected, we must believe everything he said. I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus, he's the key to life. And as we've been studying through the book of Genesis, we also have been finding out that Jesus is the key to understanding the book of Genesis. You can't understand the book. Of, you can't understand any book of the Bible without understanding Jesus. For those of you who are just joining us, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Its name literally means beginnings, because it's the story of the beginning. Listen to this: of God's dealings with mankind. It's the first book of a five-part series that was written by a guy named Moses, called the Pentateuch. It was written by Moses some fourteen hundred years before the birth of Jesus. And it covers roughly 2,000 years of human history. Genesis 1 to 11, we found out, is about the creation of all things. That God, in his infinite wisdom, exists in a trinity. He exists inside community himself. The Bible speaks later that says God is love. How can God be love if he exists all by himself? Well, the reason he can be love is that he actually exists in this thing called a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all love and care for each other as one. And this trinity, out of the happiness of itself, out of the abundance of itself, creation bursts forth. God did not create us because he was lonely. Right? He did not do that. He created us out of sheer joy. And then Genesis 12 through 50 is all about God calling and choosing a specific people to be in relationship with himself. God created everything good, and now all of a sudden God is calling people to know him and calling people to live in a relationship with him. Genesis is not meant to be a science textbook, nor is it a history of all the human civilizations. Genesis is meant to teach us about God and about his relationship with a specific group of humans, his chosen people, his church. And as we have studied this great piece of ancient literature, we have noticed several themes. First, God is a God who blesses. The word bless or blessing is used over 80 times throughout the book of Genesis. Moses is making it strikingly clear for all of us who are thick-headed and have a public school education. He's making it very clear. God is a God who blesses. The idea that we have, the idea that we're born with, that God is a ruthless judge in the heavens that's waiting for an opportunity to strike us down is not true. God is a God who blesses and desires to bless his people. Moses makes it clear that, he, that God desires to bless his people for one reason. 
so that they would glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the people of the nations around him would look in and see the blessings of God and see that God has a special relationship with them. And the people would say, I want to know this God who blesses sinful people. We've also noticed the theme of covenant. It just keeps coming up over and over. The God who desires to bless actually does something crazy and he cuts a covenant with the chosen people. A covenant is a special relationship between two parties. It's kind of like a modern day contract. And in Genesis, God cuts a covenant with men like Adam, men like Noah, men like Abraham, and he seals those covenants with the blood of animals. Now, what does he do that for? Cutting a covenant was kind of like saying, if I break this covenant, let me be like one of these animals. Let my blood be shed like these animals. Let me be cursed and killed and brought, under, brought asunder for breaking my relationship with you. All right? If you sign a contract, there's, there's stipulations in the contract. If you break this contract, you're going to have to pay late fees. If you break this contract, we're going to take the house back. If you break this contract, we can sue you. The same thing is with the covenant. When they cut an animal in two, they would walk between the two pieces. And the parties were saying, if I break this covenant, let me be torn in two like these animals. God, the holy God, comes down and makes this covenant with sinful human beings. And says, I commit myself to you. I choose you. I'm going to bless you. And if I break this covenant, let me, the God who created all things and the giver of all life, let me be torn in two like this animal. Shocking. So what we have seen so far in the book of Genesis to catch us up to speed is that God has created everything really good. But man has proceeded to rebel and destroy this goodness. And God has graciously responded by promising to make everything right again. We see from the beginning of the book of Genesis that God pronounces blessing, that God gives his benediction, that God creates and says, it is good, it is good, it is good. God is a God who blesses. And God, once we screwed everything up, once Adam and Eve, once the wheels came off and rebellion entered the garden and they, they said, God, I don't, I don't want to obey you. I don't want to listen to you. I think you're ruthless and, and I'm going to live my life my own way. God doesn't just wipe them off the face of the earth like he should have done, like a just God would do. God graciously responds to them. And he says, I'm going to provide a way out. I will find redemption for you. And God's way of making everything right again was through the blessing of this covenant. This covenant was pointing towards the creation of what we now call the new covenant. And that, G, that the one that Jesus instituted by his own blood. But there are some people who still think that Genesis, no, no, no. Genesis, it's only a myth. It's an ancient tale. There are several problems with that view. I'm only going to mention a few this morning. First, number one, a, a big one. The ancient Hebrews didn't write fiction. They didn't write fi- fiction. There is no comparable myths written by this group of people from this time period. None whatsoever. Second, Genesis is full of genealogies, all right? If you're writing a good piece of fiction, you want to write a good myth, rule number one, don't put pages of this guy's dad was this guy, this guy's dad was this guy, this guy's dad was this guy, right? We close the book and say, give me something else, right? Genealogies are not that attractive for us. 
If you want to write a good myth, you probably shouldn't include pages upon pages of seemingly boring genealogies. And third, the reason why Genesis cannot be a myth is because Jesus referred to Jesus, re- referred to the book of Genesis and referred to the stories of Genesis over and over some 1400 years after they were written down. And he confirms that the stories written in them are true. And again, if Jesus was resurrected, then everything he said was true and we need to listen to everything he said. Jesus confirms the creation account that God spoke the world into existence. Jesus confirms that marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman by God's design. Jesus confirms that the story of Cain and Abel really happened. Jesus confirms the flood of Noah. Jesus confirms Abraham and the life of Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. Jesus confirms what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus confirms the man Lot and how he lived his life. Jesus confirms Isaac and Jacob. Jesus spoke of all these things and confirmed what happened in the book of Genesis. Jesus uses all of these stories to teach and to preach during his ministry on earth. And like I said before, if Jesus was resurrected, we must believe everything he said. If Jesus believed that Genesis was a true account, then we believe that Genesis is a true account. But what I want you to know and what I want you to hear this morning is that we don't believe these things strictly by blind faith. God has given us our minds and he wants us to use them to the fullest. If you have been with us over the past few months in our study, I'm sure that you can testify to the truthfulness and the helpfulness of the book of Genesis. So many people look at the Bible and go, these are old, ancient stories, several thousand years old. How could I ever understand them? How could I ever get anything out of them? And what I've heard over and over and over for people who've been in our series on Genesis, they're like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I can't believe that that book that was written thousands of years ago still speaks to me right where I am. My wife and I had a fight over that this week. I struggle to do that with my kids right now. I still struggle like Abraham did. They're shocked at it. This stuff, these narratives, these stories, this Old Testament, it just feels true. Take, for instance, our text today. Genesis chapter 26, Isaac, one of God's chosen people, this will flip the script for you, one of God's chosen people, he tells a lie and says that his wife, Rebecca, is actually his sister. Rebecca was smoking hot, all right? So Isaac thought that the men of the city might kill him in order to take him Take her from him. So this mighty man of valor, right? God's man, this man with the upright integrity, this holy man of God, this mouthpiece of God Almighty, what does he do? He lies. He lies. Now, if you're writing a myth... Or if you're writing a great moral tale or a moral fable that's just meant to have some kind of moral of the story that everybody goes, okay, we believe this one little thing, we walk out and we go try to be good, nice people. Very rarely do you make your heroes look like sissies. 
right? Rule number one of a good myth. But God does. What we've learned through the book of Genesis is over and over, God goes, that's my guy, man of faith. I love this guy. And what does the guy proceed to do? Lie, cheat, steal, take another wife, right? Sell his wife, give up on God, walk away. We see it over and over and over and over. Why? Why does God tell us this? Why does God, why does the book of Genesis teach us this? This is why. Because it's true. That's why. We are all sissies, aren't we? We all lie to get out of trouble, don't we? We all lie to get ahead, don't we? We all lie so we don't get hurt, don't we? How many of you are married in this room? Mm-hmm. Every, single, every single person that just raised their hand lied so that somebody would marry them. Right? We are humans who feel weak, so we lie to cover it up. Right? You know, if she knew the truth, if she knew the truth, she would have took that ring off and said, uh-uh. <clears throat> right? But the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is that this is the same thing. This is what's so trippy to me. Okay? So the, the Bible doesn't paint this picture that once you come to faith and once you believe in Jesus Christ, you're supposed to be this good, moral, upright person. That everything's supposed to change on a, in an instant and you never make a mistake again and you never sin again. Absolutely not. That might be a puritanical idea, but it's not a biblical idea. We're weak and we lie. And the heroes in the Bible, they're weak and they lie. And what's funny like so many of us, what we see in this story is that Isaac, this is not the, this is not the first time this has happened. Isaac kind of betrays his wife and says it's his sister. Well, guess where he learned this? Pops. He learned this from good old father Abraham, had many sons and a couple wives too, a few of them. <laughs> right? We don't sing that part though. Isaac learned this sissy behavior, this fearful behavior, this response to when there's a famine in the land and a response to when things get tough. What do you do? You lie to get out of it. That's what you do. You lie to cover your tracks. That there is no God in heaven who's orchestrating all things and he's sovereign over all things and he can deliver you no matter where you're at, no matter what your circumstances. Chances are that you have a loving father that can reach down and move the chess pieces across the board to get your life exactly how it needs to be. He doesn't believe in that sovereign God. He doesn't believe in that sovereign plan. When things get tough, what's he do? He lies. Doesn't that just ring true? And he learned it from his pops. Doesn't that ring true? Like father, like son. I know some of you just bristled when I said that. Like mother, like daughter. Now listen, I know the majority of us has spent years of our lives trying not to repeat the sins of our mothers and fathers. Right? Can I just ask you, how's that working for you? Now, some of us have had some success with the big sins of our parents, like what we call the big sins, you know? Maybe your father was an alcoholic, so you completely stay away from alcohol. That's great. But how about the little things? 
How about those little things? One thing I was laughing at this week was how no matter how hard you try, and no matter, well, let me just start this. No matter what is going on in my kids' circumstances, I believe that the answer for them in the moment is to obey whatever it was that I just had just told them to do. Okay? So the answer, I don't care what's happening, the answer for you right now is to obey the last thing that I told you to do. Okay? And I'm pretty sure I got this from my mom. All right? She might not own it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I think I did. Here's how it goes. Javin, eat your dinner. Okay? That's the first one. A couple minutes later. Javin, eat your dinner. I don't want to. My stomach hurts. Your stomach hurts because you need to eat your dinner. All right? Okay, that's clear logic, right? Clear logic. But, but what happens, this just begins to digress, right? Then the next one goes, Javin, eat your dinner. I don't want to. Zoe got more sweet potatoes than I did. You wouldn't even notice that, that she got more than you if you've been eating your dinner. <laughs> At this point, it doesn't even matter what the question is. The answer is always going to be, eat your dinner. Why was Iron Man so smart? Because he ate his dinner. <laughs> Why is the president the president? Because he ate his dinner, right? Javin, eat your dinner. I can't. My leg hurts. Your leg hurts because you need to eat your dinner. (laughs) You ever find yourself saying things to your kids that you don't even believe, but as soon as you say them, you're like, dang, my mama used to say that. (laughs) Right? In Genesis 26, we witness the similarities between Abraham and Isaac, father and son. It's striking. And I know there's similarities between you and your mother and you and your father. We can't help it. In Genesis 26, we see this. Both men. So the similarities between Isaac and Abraham. Both men received God's call and promise. Praise God. Both men lived through a famine. Both lived in Gerar. Both had beautiful wives. Both were cowards. Both men lied. Both men were given grace by God in spite of their sin. Both men were rebuked by unbelievers. We love that one. Both dealt with Abimelech. Both men were blessings to their neighbors, and both men were blessed by God, and both men trusted God. Both men responded to God by faith, like father, like son. And the unique thing about this like father, like son principle is that scripture says it's also true of God and his son. Scripture tells us that this is also true of Jesus. See, this, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this. Now I want you to, let's think through this. If he was resurrected, we got to believe everything he says. Right? If a guy can let himself die, pop back up, that guy's got the key to life. Right? I'm not talking about, you know, hiding, faking a death, or, you know, somebody puts the paddles on him. I'm not talking about none of that. I'm talking about gets up to never die again. Right? To never die again. We've got to listen to this guy. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. Okay, he's the way, the truth, and life. Nobody gets to God unless we go through him. Now, I want you to hear that. There's many different religions across this planet. 
And every single one of them says that you can get to God on your own. It can be a path of enlightenment. It can be a few spiritual steps. But every religion, except for Christianity, has this in common. Here's your ladder. Climb it to get to God. Steps of enlightenment. Moralistic behavior. Be good enough. Let your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And you earn a spot in heaven. Pray a prayer, become a monk, do whatever, whatever it is you want to do. Become a holy person. It's ways to get to God. Christianity is completely different from that. Absolutely, solely unique in all the world's religions. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but by me. Is Jesus the ladder? No, Jesus is not the ladder that you get to climb up. If there is a ladder, Jesus climbed down that ladder. The God of the universe came and lived our life. He died our death. That God purchased salvation for us. That God saved us. We don't save ourselves. Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would know my Father also. Jesus says, You want to know what God's like? Look at my life. Look at my ministry. Look at the way I served others. Look at how everybody else says that power corrupts and that power lifts up. I was the most important person in the room. And what do you find me doing? Washing feet. That's, that's the G. That's what God is like. Ultimate power, all powerful, yet humble. Scripture says this, Jesus is also the radiance, the shining, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the world of his power. This world exists to glorify Jesus. It's not here so we can live 60, 70 years, have some babies, get an education, put some money in the bank, and have some people say some good things about us when they stick us in the ground. Everything hinges on the resurrection of this poor Galilean. And if you wish to know God, listen to me. If you wish to know God, I'm not talking about getting to heaven. Okay? Most of us don't even know what that means. I'm not talking about just life after death. See, this is, you know what? I'm going to, this might cook your noodle again. Resurrection isn't about life after death. Resurrection is about life after, life after death. See, Jesus was resurrected and he's going to the heaven, but guess what? He's coming back with that body and all the dead that are in Christ and all the believers will get a new body, a brand new body, and we will inhabit this earth as God recreates all things for his glory. Heaven is not, the future of Christians is not floating off on heaven and looking like a Hallmark card, okay? That's not the future of heaven. The future of heaven is heaven comes down, the earth comes up, they meet in the middle, and this earth is recreated. And all the culture of the world is going to glorify God without sin, without shame, without tears. That's what Christians get to look forward to. That's what Jesus instituted that day that he got up. The future popped into the present the day Jesus got out of his grave. See, and if you wish to know this God, you have the only way to know him. 
Actually, there's two ways to know him. You can know him in his judgment. You'll meet him. Everyone will meet him. You might be the most arrogant, pompous, proud, educated person on this planet. Your knee will bow. Your knee will bow. And you can bow later or you can bow now. You will meet him. So you can meet him in judgment or you can meet him in the glory of his grace. Because God sent his son to be born of a virgin, to be without sin. And he gave up his own son to show us what he is like. He blesses, he's gracious, he's good. And the gospel, this gospel, it's the good news. It tells us that God desires to be in relationship with us and that he has created a way for that to happen. Now listen, when I was talking about that ladder, so many people that think Christianity is the announcement that there's a ladder and all you got to do is believe in Jesus and all you got to do is be a good person. All you got to do is be moral and all you got to do is climb that ladder. Listen, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's good advice of how to save yourself. You want to know what good news is? Here's good news. It's the proclamation that God Almighty has chosen for himself a people, has filled them with faith that they will respond to him, has sent his own son to live the life they should have lived, the perfect life, but that Jesus instead chose to die the death that every rebellious sinner deserves. And that Jesus purchased, paid for, wrote the check for their sins. It's good news, not good advice. And listen, if you think it's good advice, you may, maybe you're a Christian and you, you've, you've accepted Christ in your heart at one time and this, you thought this was just believing the gospel was a one-time thing. Believing the gospel is a moment by moment, every day until we're in eternity thing. If you're a Christian, you've been told you believe the gospel to get in but then you work really hard and you try to be a really moral and upright and, and really disciplined person. And, and that's how you know God's, God loves you and God cares for you and you're, you're in a relationship with God is because you keep all the rules and, and you try really hard and you read your Bible. No, 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 no. It's all gospel. It's all good news. We stay connected vitally to the Father by continually believing this good news, this gospel. Everything has been taken care of for my salvation. In Christ, I am complete. Peter says, everything has been given to me. Everything has been given to me for life and godliness. I'm full of the fullness of God. I have the spirit of the living God inside of me. That right now, as I sin and when I sin, the Father looks down at me and he sees Perfect, spotless, clean. Because of Jesus Christ, Jesus' perfect record has been applied to me. And you're like, well, okay, what does that do? I'll tell you what it does. It causes me to relax. It causes me to worship. It causes me not to be so worried about what people think of me. Why do I need the approval of man when I have the approval of God already in Christ? Why would I be afraid of what man may say or do to me when if God before me, who can be against me? Why do I get so, why do I freak out when money gets tight? When my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he's never forsaken me and he's never left me. Why do I crave the love and acceptance of another person when I get the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, the key to life? See, your problem isn't a sin problem. Your problem is a belief 
problem. You need to believe belief. You need to believe the gospel. Christian, I'm speaking to you. Believe the gospel. Why do you look down on others who are smoking or drinking or chewing, doing something that you don't do? Why do you look down? Because you have forgotten the gospel. You think God accepts you and loves you because you've cleaned up your act and you forgot that God only saves one type of people and that's sinners. That's it. So if you've forgotten that you're a sinner, that you're no longer saved. If you've forgotten that you're a sinner, you've stepped away from the gospel. That's why we repent of our sin. That's why we we speak of our sin a lot around Sacred City. Why? Because it reminds us of who we are without Christ. And it reminds us that in Christ, we're perfect and clean and loved and accepted and forgiven and adopted. See, the only way to heaven, the only way to relationship with God is through this thing called covenant. But guess what? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Only him who has clean hands and a clean heart. Do you have clean hands and a clean heart? No. Neither do I. See, I might, I clean up all right. But if you saw my heart, my heart is wicked. Desperately wicked is what scripture says. I desire the praises of people more than God. I desire the comfort that wealth can provide. I want people to agree with me, hate it when they don't. I want to be right all the time. I am a wicked man and I'm only saved by the grace of an almighty God. And in that grace, I can rest I can stop my ladder climbing. You realize what that is, right? When you try to please people, you're just climbing a ladder. You're trying to be accepted by being good enough. Get off the ladder. Stop trying to be accepted by being good enough, smart enough, humble enough, kind enough, cute enough. Get off the ladder. Christ Climb down the ladder. Live the life that none of us can live and died the death that we all deserve. To give us, give, please say gift. Please say gift because that's all, it's a gift given to you. This is the blessing of the new covenant that God's made with his people. He's fulfilled both sides of it. He made the rules. He obeyed the rules. We break the rules. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation are your sins. That's it. He gives you the faith to believe. He brought you in this room. People have been praying for you to be in this room. The only thing you give to him are your sins. We're beggars. We're beggars in the room with an almighty king. He's got everything. What would he want from you? (laughs) He's not trying to get your money, right? He doesn't need your white-knuckled obedience. 
He doesn't really care that you're here. I mean, he does care that you're here today, but he's not like, oh, they're here today. I really needed that affirmation today. He's happy in the Trinity. He's got Jesus who perfectly obeyed him in relationship with him. He's got the Holy Spirit that's constantly telling him how good he is. He's got angels that are singing, holy, holy, holy. You're here today because he loves you. He desires to bless you. Jesus says this in the book of Revelation. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the, I love this. I'm the first and the last and the living one. The living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and the afterlife. Jesus has the keys. Jesus Christ tasted death so that we might taste eternal life. Jesus Christ was resurrected to show us what will happen to us when he comes back again. Listen, the resurrection is no soft doctrine. It's a razor blade. The whole whole of Christianity stands upon this doctrine. If Jesus was not raised bodily from the grave, then our faith is futile. And listen, the past year, this saying's been going around. You probably heard it. It's called YOLO, right? YOLO, you only live once. YOLO, what's it stand for? It stands for hedonism, basically. It stands for, hey, we're only going to live once. We're only in this world once. We better get everything we can get. We better experience everything we can experience. Get all the ha- pack all the happiness possible into this one life. There's only one problem. Nah, there's two problems. You can't experience happiness. Everything breaks outside of Jesus. You think, more sex, more sex, more sex, that'll make me happy? Eventually it breaks. Your body breaks down. It doesn't fulfill you anymore. It's meaningless now. There's an end to all pleasure. Right? Chocolate cake is wonderful. Sit down and eat the whole thing, see how you feel. There's a cap on all pleasure on this earth, except in Christ. In Christ, there's no cap on pleasure. We get to swim in the ocean of his grace and get deeper and deeper and deeper. And in eternity, we're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper still. There's no end to pleasure in Christ. Outside of Christ, there's an end to all pleasure. You only live once is not true. Every single person, we live once and then we'll be judged. And what you're going to be judged on isn't just your good deeds and bad deeds. What you're going to be judged on is this. What have you done about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You say, well, I kind of believe that. Listen, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Satan and his demons believe that. They're not saved. They don't have a relationship with God. It's not a one-time thing. You just do it and you're done. It's an intimacy thing. It's a lifestyle. He's got the key to life. Do you want that key? Here's the whole thing. If he was raised, and there's 
sociologists and all kinds of people that say there's no other explanation. The growth of Christianity, the explosion of Christianity, unlike anything the world has ever seen, there is no other explanation. Foolish people that said we, we were believing it, we, it was all a lie, it was all a sham, we walked away from him. There's no other way that these foolish, weak, sinful people could have flipped three days later and went buck wild and changed the whole world. But the resurrection. Billions of people across this planet, right? Millions today gathering with us to celebrate the resurrection. If Jesus was resurrected, then you should take notice because that means Jesus is the key to happiness. Jesus is the key to your purpose. Jesus is the key to your love. Jesus is the key to meaning, life, life after death, and life after, life after death. Jesus is the key. That's all you're going to hear today. What will you do with that? Will you believe the resurrection? Will you place your faith? That means your confident trust. Will you put that in the resurrection? Or will you put it in your own works? Or your own logic? Or your own wisdom? Or your own education? Everybody puts their faith somewhere. I'm asking you to put your faith in the one thing that changed the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me this morning. We never do this, but since it's Easter and there's a lot of people in this room who are visiting with us, I want to I want to make this really clear. Jesus does not call good people to himself. Jesus does not wait for people to clean up their act. Jesus does not wait for people to obey him before he loves them. Jesus saves sinners. And you're in this room today for one reason. The God of the universe through a thousand different circumstances brought you here. And I'm asking you today to put all your hope, all your trust, and all your faith into the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will save you, sustain you, love you, and fulfill you. Your own behavior won't. Your own goodness won't. Your spouse will let you down. Your kids will let you down. Your job will let you down. Christ will never let you down. If you're in this room today and you say, Justin, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to look up at me today. Every other head bowed, every other eye closed. Listen, Scripture, there is no magic prayer. There is no hocus pocus that this is God calling you to himself. So I'm going to ask you where you are to confess your sins to God. To say, Jesus, I accept you. I want to believe you. I want to trust in your resurrection. I want to turn from my sin. I want you to believe by faith. The resurrection was proof that our sins are forgiven. The resurrection is proof that our sins are forgiven. Every head bowed still and every eye closed. One more opportunity.
If you're in this room and you believe in Christ, you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, but you've never taken the next step and you've never been baptized. Now, we don't do this. We very rarely have done this. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to offer an opportunity for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have never been baptized, I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to today believe and be baptized. We've got spare clothes for you to be baptized in. We have towels for you. We have provided and planned for this to happen. So if anyone, now if if not, that's great. But if there's anyone in this room who on this Easter Sunday, the day that Christ was buried and was resurrected, you would like to be buried and resurrected in that water. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like you to look up at me right now. If there's anybody in here that would like to be baptized. Okay. Right now as we pray, listen, in the back, in the window, in the foyer out here, in the window, there's clothes, there's towels. You can go right now. If that's you, you can go and you can get changed, banned. You can go ahead and start praying and I'm, or start playing a little bit. And I'm going to play. So go ahead and get up. Those, those, if you want to be baptized, get out of your seat. Go back there. Get your clothes. Uh, get your towel. If I could have somebody back there helping them. AJ, if you could go back there and help them probably, that'd be great. And I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your spirit moving. I thank you for the opportunity to follow you, to believe, and to be baptized. That you are a God that still calls people to himself. You are a God who saves. You are a God who's so powerful, you can resurrect the dead. And I pray that you would resurrect our dead hearts in this room today. In Jesus' name.